going to pray, and then we will get into the message. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity for us to gather together as a family and to worship together. And we know that worshiping you is not just the music part. It's really how we live out our lives um, in the spheres and spaces that you place us so that we can have an impact on your kingdom here on earth. I ask this morning that the word you've given me will be one that is impactful and that as we leave today, we will be changed by what is said, not because of my words being cute or whatever, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I have to give a little bit of a disclaimer about this message. The title is called Dead Things, and God is preaching to me in this moment as much as he's having me speak to you. So this is not, if you're feeling some kind of way as I'm sharing, just know it's not personal. (laughs) That is the Holy Spirit doing what he does, okay? So just recognize that piece. Now, when I say the word dead things, there may be a few things that jump to mind when you hear it, like dead animals, uh, mouse in a mouse trap, uh, a battery, so many things that could fall into that space. But one thing that you might not think about is the character of God when it comes to dead things. Um, and so I want to set the table for us about God's character because if we don't have an understanding of that and his purpose for what he's doing in our lives, when we're going through hard things, it can very much feel like punishment or that we're losing everything and wondering what did I do to deserve that? And we're just feeling the loss and disappointment. So I want to make sure that we understand God's character when we're talking about dead things. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to 1 John chapter 4. I was about to say the lyrics will be on the screen. (laughs) No. Uh... Well, I guess, if you like to sing them, uh, the uh, verses will also be on the screen. But if you have your Bibles, 1 John chapter 4, we're going to start at verse 7. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our, friend, our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us. And his love is brought to full expression in us. Now I'm going to drop down to verse 16. We know how much God loves us, and we put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. 
So in this passage, John is making sure that we understand that our ability to love is made possible because of the Father and his love for us. So I have three things that I want you to take away from this passage of Scripture. So the first one is that our ability to love others is contingent on God's love first. So when I talk about ability, it's that we're able to love others because God loved us first. And because we're made in his image, it's in our DNA. Like as image bearers, it's in our DNA. We can't escape it. Now we can make a choice about it. But it's there. The second thing is that our capacity, which is how much we're able to love, is connected to our trust in God. So if you don't have a big trust in God, then it limits, it's a capacity limiter. So number three is our ability to trust God is connected to our belief in his personal love for us. So number one, our ability to love others contingent on God's love for us first. Number two, our capacity to love is connected to our trust in God. And number three, our ability, our ableness to trust God is connected to our belief and our, in his love personally for us. So this is not like when someone says, oh, God loves you. And you're like, well, yeah. Right. You know, that he has to, <laughs> that sort of idea. Or when a parent says something about their child and the child feels like, well, you have to say that because you're my mom or you're my dad. Like, but they don't really believe that. They feel like that's what it is. So it's not about him loving others that we believe that because that's, we can easily believe God's love for other people. This is about his personal love for you. His personal love for you. And do you believe that he personally loves you? Which is very easy for us to be like, yeah. But let's, we're going we're gonna to test it. Okay? I remember the first time that I saw verse 16 at the top where it says, we know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. I was like, hmm, hmm. I don't, (sighs) I had to be honest about that. I was not fully, no, mm -mm, nope. That was, I mean, I'm not, scripture is not false. My belief can be. So I had to start there. This is why I'm telling you, if you're feeling some kind of way, he's preaching to me as much as he's preaching to you. All right, so now we're going to do our litmus test. So if you're familiar with science, litmus test lets you know where you stand on the spectrum of the colors of whatever it is that you're testing, all right? So you get the little test strips and have fun with that. So we're going to do our own little litmus test this morning. So the first question is this. What should be dead 
that you're keeping alive. So if you're thinking, well, no, 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 I, I, trust, I trust and believe God's love for me. Okay, well, do you have anything that should be dead that you're keeping alive? Like the Holy Spirit's already been having conversation with you about that needs to go. But you're like, well, ah, you know what? God is so loving and forgiving and long-suffering and, you know, his patience. I, you know, that, that's, that can be our mindset. And so uh, we're going to have to talk about that. Okay? And we may be thinking, well, that's not us because I would never be the one. Like, who would hold on to dead stuff? I was just telling Chantel, as I was leaving my house today, there is a broken bracelet on my dresser. It didn't break yesterday. (laughs) It broke months ago, like maybe getting close to two years ago, but in my mind at the time, in my mind at the time was, well, I'm going to fix this. No, no, still broken. So when I go home, trash. So, you know, as I said, God's already working here. All right. So back in January, if you were here, you may recall that I talked about a lot to lose. So if you're thinking, ah, I don't know that I have anything. In that message, I talked about comfort being something that will not leave on its own. It will outstay its welcome. We have to say, you get the boot and get rid of it. Now, comfort can be a good thing, but sometimes we get caught up in, well, this is good, it's not bad, and it's not anti-scripture, blah, blah, blah. But God may be like, yeah, but I need that to go because I have something else for you, and this is hindering what I have next. So it has to go. It may be a not great thing um, as well. Like, it's just familiar. So I'm going to hang on to it. So we're going to go into Genesis chapter 19. Uh, and we're going to start at verse 12. Because interestingly, we're back at Lot. Now, a lot has happened <laughs> Since the last time I talked about, uh, talked about him in January, okay? And it's not lost on me that we have come into nine months since I la- preached at the beginning of the year. Like a whole human being has developed in that amount of time, Okay? So a lot can happen in nine months. So if you're thinking about what I write on the paper or what did God talk to me about nine months ago that I probably forgot about. Um, anyway. All right. So starting at verse 12, it says, oh, let me give you some background in case you're not like, where are we jumping into? All right. So lot has... He moved away from Abraham and has his own place. 
Uh, there's another passage prior to this where Lot gets in some trouble, Abraham comes to his rescue, um, gets him and his family uncaptured, and so af- this is after that, and he has settled down in Sodom and Gomorrah. So when the angels come, he is sitting at the city gate, and typically in this time period, if you were sitting at the city gate as a person of wealth, usually it was the community leaders of the day that they would sit there and they're going to have conversations and they're going to discuss the issues of the day and what's happening and debate and all of that type of thing. So that's why he would be there. So even though he came in as a foreigner, at some point they welcomed him in to be a part of that conversation and participate in what was happening in the community. So usually that's like the high up people. This is not the common folk, if you will. They were not invited to be a part of these conversations, okay? So that gives you an idea because we already know from January that Lot had a lot of wealth. When he and Abraham separated, they both had large herds. And in that day, um, that signified your wealth, um, your herds, as well as other possessions, okay? So we're going to get into verse 12 where angels have come and there has been um, uh, some nefarious intent, since we have young ears in the room, uh, about what's happening in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, in that area, all right? And why there are men there at Lot's house. So the angels that had come to visit and Lot took home to serve them a meal, they yank him back into the house because these men were about to attack. So this is where we come in at verse 12. Meanwhile, the angels questioned Lot. Do you have any other relatives here in the city? They asked. Get them out of this place, your sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone else, for we are about to destroy this city completely. The outcry against this place is so great it has reached the Lord, and he has sent us to destroy it. Um, I'm going to jump down to verse 15. At dawn the next morning, the angels became insistent. Hurry, they said to Lot, take your wife and your two daughters who are here. Get out right now or you will be swept away in the destruction of the city. When Lot still hesitated, the angel seized his hand and the hands of his wife and two daughters and rushed them to safety outside the city for the Lord was merciful. Now, Lot, I believe, had lived there long enough to recognize the fact that where he was living was not a great place, that the culture was corrupted, that there were a lot of influences that were not in line with God. And yet, he decided to stay there with his family. He had sons-in-law, daughters, all of that, still decided to stay. Because he built a life there, it was comfortable, and I can tell you he was not there to preach to all people so they could come to an understanding of who God was. No. I had some teenagers try to pull that on me about visiting a particular restaurant, that that's why they needed to go there, and I'm like, no. (laughs) Nice try, though. You know, we're not going there so you can preach. Uh, to the wait staff. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, um, 
so Lot hesitated because in his mind, we all know, we already, we have an established life here. Like I was gung-ho yesterday. How many of us have had that experience where God tells us something, we're like, yep, I'm on it. I'm doing that. 24 hours later, we're like, well, I don't know. Like, I, I better think about it. I got to pray about it some more. Like we already know. Okay, we already know what we're supposed to be doing. In our minds, here's the question that comes to in our minds about why we hesitate. If I kill it, then what? If I kill it, then what? Litmus test number two. What's dead that you keep looking back at? that you keep replaying the video in your mind, going back to photos, going back to text messages, going back to emails. <laughs> I told you, like, do not come for me. <laughs> do not, do not, okay? It's something that we already know God said, it's canceled. You know, we talk about cancel culture, Listen, when God cancels it, that's the only thing. <laughs> exactly. It's literally dead. That's it. It's done. And he's the only one bringing it back. Only we like, ah, I think my little CPR skills, I can. Let me get the paddles on this. No. All right. So we're going to jump down to verse 17. We're still in Genesis chapter 19. We're going to come down to verse 17. Let me see here. Okay. Uh, man. When they were safely out of the city, one of the angels ordered, run for your lives and don't look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. Now, at this point, Lot pulls the, I don't think I can make it, peace, okay? Because, I, you know, he was like, can we be sort of close, but not as far as the mountains? Like, I really don't think I can make it. That was his excuse, basically, of why he didn't want to go there. I don't think I can make getting there. So the, there's this little village. There's this little spot. It's hardly anything. Can we just go there? Now, the angels acquiesce, and they say, okay, fine, you can do that. So we're going to jump down to uh, verse 23. Lot reached the village just as the sun was rising over the horizon. Then the Lord rained down fire and burning sulfur from the sky on Sodom and Gomorrah. He utterly destroyed them along with the other cities and villages of the plain, wiping out all the people and every bit of vegetation. But Lot's wife looked back as she was following behind him and she turned into a pillar of salt. They're about to make it. They were all about to make it. And she decides... I just need one more look. 
all the things I'm losing. Many of us have done the same thing. It cost her. It's costing us. Now, it may not be as immediate as that, but it is costing us. Matthew 16 talks about the fact that if we try to hold on to our life, we will lose it. That the only way we actually gain life is by giving it up for Christ. Then we gain real life. In Philippians 3, 13 and 14, it talks about the fact that I don't look behind me. I forget what is behind me. I forget what is behind me and I move forward towards the prize. So you need to think about, is it worth it to look back? Is that dead thing really worth it? Litmus test number three. What has, de- has God declared dead for a season that you are declaring permanently dead? <laughs> God declared it dead for a season, but because we are gap fillers, if we can't, if we don't feel like, ah, there's not enough information, our minds naturally as humans, we will fill in. Brene Brown talks about um, telling a story. That basically we make up a story because it's our way of filling in the gap. If someone's not talking to us, we'll make up a story about why they're not talking to us. If somebody gave us a particular look, we make up a story about why that is. We don't have a conversation to ask them, are they okay? Is something going on? Oh, no, no, no. We've, we've already decided what, is the pro- what the problem is. Okay? So when the season is lasting longer than what we anticipated, we automatically start filling in that, well, I guess this is, like, this is never coming back. Like, I, I thought God said that this was just for a time that he needed this to be set down. But it's been three years. It's been 10 years. It's been 15. And I haven't seen anything that looks like I'm moving into the next season related to this. Amen. This year marked, uh, let me see, 15, I got to do math here. Seven years since my divorce. I thought by now I would have been remarried. This winter season is still here. It's still here. And I have no signs that spring is coming. None. Like, it's not the grass is brown and dead. Like, (laughs) it's not. Yet, I have to not look at that. 
as it's permanent. Because I don't know what God has planned, not fully, but if I allow myself to fill in gaps about what I think is going to happen or say, well, I guess I'm, it's never happening, I'm never getting married again. That may not be accurate at all. I'm going to say something that I want you to understand. This is not to make light of anything challenging or difficult that you may be experiencing in your life right now. But it's a reminder that sorrow lasts for the night and joy comes in the morning. Now, a lot of times we want our literal 24-hour day, like, okay, nighttime I cried about it. When I get up in the morning, okay, it's all good and, we're, and it's all done. However, we know that time in God's space is not our time. How he views time, his timing, we have no idea. Not really. I mean, we can maybe get a sense, but that doesn't mean like for sure. It's like when a woman is expecting a baby. Like, yeah, the doctor gives a due date, but that baby's coming when the baby decides it's coming. That's it. I mean, you could be three weeks after and be like, no, you were supposed to be here three weeks ago. No. It comes when it comes. So, those are our three litmus tests right there. Let me just review very quickly. What should be dead that you're keeping alive? What's dead that you keep looking back at? And what has God declared dead for a season that you have declared dead permanently? And here's what I want you to recognize. And this goes back to what I talked about at the beginning. That each one of these questions leads back to this bottom line. How much do you trust God's love for you? Or how much do you trust God? You can take the how much off. Do you trust God's love for you? Do you trust God? And that's a question that each and every one of us have to answer for ourselves. Nobody else can give you that answer. So I want us to take some time this morning to reflect on that. I want us to think about and honestly answer, do I trust God's love for me? Because if I do, then the dead things, I'm going to be less afraid and less gripping onto those things that I'm afraid I'm going to lose if I know that ultimately his plan for me is always good. As scary as it may seem to let go, his plan is always good. And the things that are maybe pruning in our lives that are painful when they're happening, it's different than destruction, which is what the enemy has planned for each of us as Christ followers. His plan is destruction. God's plan is not that. It's pruning and shaping and molding. 
During this reflection time, we're going to have communion available. We're going to have people who are available to pray with you. If you feel that you just need time either in your seat or here at the altar to reflect with God and talk with where the Holy Spirit is nudging and leading, this is open as well. Maybe you've never even made a decision to follow Jesus. And if that's the case, I want you to come and see me. Because that starts the journey of understanding and trusting his love for you. That he loved you enough to send Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. Past, present, and future. And I don't want you to leave here and not have made that connection with Jesus.